have needs and desires and seek to discover our own erotic journey, you've come to the right place. This is Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver, presented by SDC. In the next hour, we're here to answer your burning questions about relationships, sexuality, and health from the leading sex experts and professionals. Now, here is your host, Lexi Silver. Hi, everyone. Welcome to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm your host, Lexi Silver. We have a little bit of a more serious show today, unlike uh, some of the other shows that we've had that are a little bit more uh, focused on pleasure and relationships and health. This is probably one of the most important episodes that I could be doing because I know it affects pretty much most of the people who are listening right now in some way or another. And I just want to give a little trigger warning for anybody who has either experienced sexual assault or knows someone who has and who might not feel comfortable continuing listening to this episode. That being said, today we are going to be talking about sexual assault. And it is something that affects a lot of people and has affected, like I had mentioned before, pretty much everybody in some way. You most likely know somebody who has dealt with sexual assault or has been sexually harassed in the past. I'm really hoping you're going to join me today with my, I really hope you're going to join me today with Samantha Hugan, bilingual sex therapist, author, activist, and sex educator. We are going to be talking about sexual assault what it means, the importance of consent, how we can educate people about that even more than we have been. Samantha is going to be giving us a lot of information also about how to support someone and yourself. Um, So people who, uh, if you know somebody who has been sexually assaulted and you don't know how you can offer your support to them, and if you have been sexually assaulted, how you can talk to people in a safe space um, to be able to work through some of those things, I know that Samantha is going to talk about that as well. So thank you very much for joining me today for that. And before we kick off our discussion today, I just want to thank our sponsor, SDC.com, your and my expert source of exclusive information about sex, health, and relationships. We'll get access to a massive international network and dating platform of over 3 million members worldwide. So Today's episode is with Samantha Hugan, like I said before, who works as a marriage and family therapist in Atlanta. And she has two master's degrees because, I mean, like, you know, one was obviously not enough. (laughs) Her first um, is in women's and gender studies from the University of South Florida. And the second is in marriage and family therapy. So she's fully qualified to be having this discussion with us today. She is also a writer. Uh, She has just published her book, Dawn Among the Stars. So welcome, Samantha. Thank you so much for being on my show today. Thank you so much. And you're so cute. Yeah, I think about that all the time with my two degrees. I'm like, what was I thinking? I don't know. Just having a good time in school, I guess. (laughs) <laughs> you know what? That's okay. Some of us are born for it, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I loved it then. I don't think I'll be going back anytime soon, but uh, I'm, I, I did enjoy my time. I loved USF. I loved Mercer. It was great. And one thing I'd like to add, just to clarify why I'm talking uh, about sex uh, and relationships and sexual assault is that I am certified sex therapist. I am with the uh, American Association of Sexologists, and I have taught at Kennesaw State University for almost two years now, teaching their love and sex course. So I think I know what I'm doing. I think. We'll see. (laughs) I know that you do, and that's why you're here. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So I really, really appreciate having this, being able to have this conversation with you because, like I said, it is something that affects pretty much all of us in some way or another. And I feel like uh, there has been a lot more information uh, kind of going around about what consent is. You know, people just think it's maybe a buzzword and don't really understand or internalize the importance of it. So, right, or think that they give it, uh, give consent once and that's it. It's like, you, know, you have to give it every single time. Exactly. And it's, and I really want to go into detail with you about that soon because I, anyway, I just think this is a really, really key episode for anybody who's listening. So thank you for all of you who stay, who are still tuned in. Thank you very much. Yeah. So what kind of work do you do right now with individuals who are survivors of sexual assault and how do you also help educate about it? Because I know you, you mentioned you, you also talk at universities. I know that you were also at uh, Sex Down South, which is where we first met. And um, I know that you do go around and, uh, and educate others. So yeah, I'd love to hear about that. 
Yeah. So the first part of your question is what I do with clients. And I will uh, work with a client based on where they are in the world and what their positionality is. So what I mean by that is I take their story and it's, it's their story. It's their narrative. It's their journey. So I really go really, really slow to join with my clients whenever we're talking about anything sex related, whether it be just sex therapy, whether it be talking about gender or stereotypes or education or assault or survivorship in any way shape or form I have to know my client backwards and forwards and they have to trust me it can't just jump in and be like okay cool tell me about the worst thing that happened to you in your life yeah that is not how I work I I do not do not recommend any kind of therapist or any kind of helping profession uh, to go about it in that way so I go very very slowly and I very I take very seriously the joining that I have with my clients so that could be a couple of sessions depending how fast or slow that they want to go or it depends. It depends on how they feel about me too, right? Because it's it's a it's a back and forth, if you will. So that could take a couple of sessions, which is cool. But it could also take many, many sessions, sessions, which is just as cool. It really is all individualized based on the needs of my client. So I'll do things like a sexual genogram. So I'll learn about how they learned about sex. Because uh, as a systems thinker, a marriage and family therapist, I'm getting caught up in my cords right now. Uh, as a marriage and family therapist, I look at the system. So that can be community, that can be their family, that can be their friends group, what they do for a living. All of that is relevant to how they're going to make it through this time in their life or how they're going to come to a place of healing. And I don't get to decide that for my clients. My clients decide that and they get to determine what that looks like. So I need to know all of this information about my client in order to move forward. Uh, Then once I have that kind of information, I can do a sex timeline to kind of see how we got to this place. Um, Again, if it's about sexual assault, I can talk about it with them if they're ready to talk about it when we're doing this. Or I can say, okay, from this date to this date, if you don't want to talk about what happened to you during that time, we're just going to we're going to put a sheet over it. We're not going to talk about this time. We're not going to look at this this timeline that way. And we're going to keep on moving forward until we get to present day. And a lot of times we'll circle back or I'll get little tidbits when I work with clients. So it's, it's all relevant. It all works. But those are just a few ways that I work with clients. Again, all client driven. This is not the Samantha show. This is my client show. Um, and then, yeah, in the community, I love, look, I love to talk to people. I love to inform people because there is so much rumor and, and stereotypes going around about consent and sex and relationships. So yeah. I, I do go out in the community. I do talk to schools. I do talk to um, different organ- organizations. I have gone to RavenCon, uh, which is a wonderful, um, just a con of sorts that talk about books and movies and science fiction and fantasy and all that wonderful stuff. And I was able to go talk at RavenCon and uh, kind of inform that crowd, if you will, about consent and healthy relationships. So I'm all over the place because I do think it is super, super important that not only as a a writer, we're writing uh, good depictions of mental health and relationships, but we're talking about sexual assault in a realistic way. So those are just a few of my passions. (laughs) Well, I agree that it's so important to be able to do that. And I think it's great that you're using your skills for, I mean, for the good of the people and also for the good of your client. Yeah, I I love it. I mean, if we can start the conversation like you and I, Lexi, and then other people will hear this podcast or other people will read my work, whatever. I don't care how people are getting the message as long as they're taking the message and then taking it to their communities. And I just love that. I love it so much. Oh, I agree. And so speaking of, you know, uh, bringing information and all of that, let's talk a little bit about some statistics. I know we talked about this a little bit before, but what are some stats or information, like basic details that you that you know about um, the frequency or incidences of sexual assault, the genders or of the potential offenders and the survivors? Where do people most likely where does this happen to people most likely, Um, you know, who are these potential offenders, all, all of that. Yeah. Oh, you threw a lot at me at once. Oh, yeah, I did. You can handle it. I know you can. (laughs) Let's see if we can do this step by step. So you asked about um, statistics, and I love that question because, yes, there are statistics out there that can say this demographic and this position and these kind of people and this gender gets affected by sexual assault more. And I I would like to say air quotes more because that's just what we know that is being reported. And that's the key factor here. That's being reported. A lot of what's going on, it's not reported. 
it. Uh, a lot of what happens in the shadows gets forgotten or pushed aside or, you know, God forbid, the survivors don't feel like they have the power or the space to come forward and say, hey, this happened to me. I think little by little in our world, people are coming forward and speaking about what has happened to them. But again, um, it, it's too few and too far between. Um, people just do not feel empowered to speak out about it because we don't live in a society or a culture that is open to hearing what women have to say or what men have to say. Uh, there's a lot of allegedly going around. I hate that word. Yes. Passion. Like allegedly this happened. No, let's be honest. The one statistic that sticks out for me as a clinician is that 2% of anyone who is reporting makes it up. 2%. That's nothing in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. And so if 2% is making it up, everybody else is being truthful. It is more common knowledge than not that people are being true, truthful. I don't know why people always go to, are they like making it up or that didn't happen or it wasn't as bad as this or like you're just making a big deal out of X, Y, and Z people who are reporting it, they obviously struggled within themselves about even wanting to do it and wanting to put that out there. So I think that's something too that really, really needs to be addressed. I think if anything, I hope your listeners take away the fact that people aren't reporting. And so we do have statistics. I'm not going to repeat them just because I, I see them and I don't see them as factual in terms of what is really going out in the world. I work with way too many survivors. I've spoken with way too many people. I've uh, met with people personally and professionally that tell me their stories almost on a daily basis. And there's just too many of those stories floating around that aren't being reported. And I really want people to take that away, that they, that. I, I would gather, I'm going to say this, it's probably going to upset some listeners, but I'm going to say it. Everyone has faced sexual assault in one way, shape, or another. We just may not realize it. So um, we have to define what that means. Everyone has been touched by it, whether personally or with someone they know, have been affected by sexual assault. And again, it's defining what that means. It's being aware of what that looks like. And I think that can go into our conversation later about consent because it's just that little word. It's just that idea that can protect you and again, help define what it means to be sexually assaulted. Absolutely. And we're definitely going to get into that in a little bit more detail, like you were saying, because it is super important to understand what that means. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more in the next segment. Just going to take a really quick break right now and thank our sponsor again, stc.com for this podcast. And if you're enjoying my show and you want to learn more about relationships, sex and health, and you want to find new ways to spice up your sex life as well, check out stc.com. We'll guide you on your erotic journey with unlimited access to videos, podcasts, and articles from experts like Dr. Jess, Sunny Megatron, and Charlie and Ariane Williams. Visit sdc.com to discover and connect with your own erotic tribe and explore more at SDC events, parties, and travel destinations. With hot and fresh content added daily, you'll have tons of resources to start your exploration and continue along your path to self-discovery. Join over 3 million of our SDC members worldwide to seek, discover, and create with us today. Don't forget to use promo code 7070 for two months of free access to SDC.com. That's 7070 to get two months free at SDC. You're listening to the Sexy Lifestyle Talk Radio Network. What is your level of sexual expertise? Want to find something new? Listen for Sisters of Sexuality every week on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. There's no judgment here, and every topic is safe and sex positive, so we'll explore them together. It's time to push your sexual boundaries and try some new experiences with your hosts, Taylor Sparks, Jet Setting Jasmine, and Parrish Blair. With Marla Renee Stewart and Tiffany Janae, you won't want to miss a single show every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern. 5 p.m. Pacific on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. You are tuned in to Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver. If you have a question or comment about the show, we'd love to hear from you via email to Lexi at SDC.com. That's L-E-X-I at SDC.com. Now back to this week's discussion. You're listening to Seek, Discover, Create. I'm Lexi Silver, and I'm here with Samantha Hugan, and we're talking about sexual assault. Before the break, Samantha was talking about something very interesting, and uh, from her perspective, everybody 
has dealt with sexual assault in their lives. And we, I want to go back to that, that concept and the idea of enthusiastic consent. And my question is, if any, can anything done to you without consent be considered sexual assault? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. Well, that was a very quick answer. Yes. I like that. Good. Um, Excuse me. Only because it's something that's done to you that you didn't give permission to have happened. So yes. And uh, when I teach or when I work with clients, you, I always tell them you have to give a verbal, not like a little wink and, you know, you know, a little shoulder, like shimmy. No, no, no. Like you have to give a verbal. Yes. The physical is great. Yes. As, as humans, as animals, if you will, we do communicate in various ways. Yes. But for consent, it has to be verbal. A hundred thousand million percent. That's a lot of percentage, but it has to be verbal. Uh, let me give you an example too, because we were talking about this off air. Um, yes. I'm going to give a personal example. I, I, Hope it is not triggering to anyone. I do not believe it, it, it is, but here we go. I'm, I'm warning you now. Over the weekend, I went into a gas station, you know, I had to take care of my business, had a little snack, and I was looking at the chips, and the chips are located at the front of the, the gas station, the store, and I could not for the life of me pick out chips. Again, this is my like once in a blue moon chip escapade, whatever, but I was like, okay, I need some chips. I was so focused on the chips. I didn't really recall who was around me, but I became suddenly aware of a male presence coming towards me. And I had glanced up and I looked at him and he looked at me and he wasn't looking at me, Samantha, the person, he was looking at my breasts. Now, does it matter what I was wearing? Absolutely not. No. But he was looking at my breasts and I knew without a shadow of a doubt that he was looking at my breasts. He walked past me. I didn't say anything because I didn't feel safe to say anything. I was startled. I was very like taken back. Doesn't matter, right? But what happened was that he assaulted me with his eyes, with his presence. Because not only did he walk past me still looking at me, he did a very, how do you say, very suggestive turn to where he was leaving the gas station, but still hyper-focused on my breasts. And I remember just being like, this bitch. Because I was angry because somebody had visually taken up space in my, in my bubble. And then not only that, wasn't seeing me, the person, was just seeing my breasts. And then very, very, very focused on my body instead of me, the person. Because it wasn't in anybody's way. Obviously, he walked right past me. It was just being a female body person, he was there. I went to find my husband shortly after, and once we got to the car where I did feel safe, I told him what happened. And my husband was very confused, he was angry for me, but he was also like, is that sexual assault? Because I went into, as I will say, I went into a tirade about how women are safe. I, I was very angry, so of course, the feminist in me was coming out in full swing, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that got me to be very quiet and very pensive along with my husband was that he asked me, is that sexual assault? Yeah. I think there's a perfect example of, yes, that is sexual assault because I didn't invite this person to kind of uh, ogle me, if you will, with his eyes. I didn't ask for that. I didn't ask for sexual attention. I wasn't even, I wanted chips. Yeah. I wanted chips. I didn't want sexual anything. I wanted the damn chips. Um, so that's my, that's my example. And that's my, my message is that if it's unwanted in any way, shape or form, it is sexual assault and we have to do better. Like, yes, you're going to glance at a good looking person. You're going to glance at somebody you're interested. You're going to glance, but it's doing that overt sexual stare, if you will, that crosses the line. We can't help where we look, but we can help how we act when we do register that we're maybe being inappropriate or we're getting turned on or whatever. We can control our behavior. So, yes, I believe when it comes to consent, you need that verbal yes. Anything other than that, that's a solid no for me that is sexual assault. And that's something that also we were just talking about off air real quick because a lot of people um, might have this misconception that sexual assault requires penetration to occur in yeah. some way, shape, or form. Because we, we often, not always, but often think of sexual assault as being done to a female-bodied person by a male-bodied person. So there's there has to be some kind of penetration in order for it, uh, whether it's with fingers or, uh, you know, invading their, their personal space or, you know, uh, with, uh, uh, with, with a penis. Items, whatever. Yes, toys, uh, toys, sorry, tools, whatever, whatever yeah. the case, there has to be that. 
it's not the case. And it could, no. and that really broadens. It really, really confuses. There's two reasons. There's because at least in America, and I wish I knew all the laws of the world, but I, that, that is not my expertise. Sex therapy is my expertise. Right. I do know, I'm in the United States, y'all, and um, I do know in the state of Georgia that on the books, it explicitly says what consent is, and there is a line in there that, that definitely talks about penetration, and pretty much kind of roundabout, in a roundabout way, talks about other forms of sexual assault, but they definitely were adamant that it has to do with penetration. So that's, that's the law's fault. That's where we fall in the law for the United States. Now, I don't know where you are. I wish I did know where you are, listeners, but I don't. Uh, so you might want to look into your state's, country's laws just to see how they're different or how they uh, either protect or hurt individuals who are survivors. That'd be interesting. It'd be a, another discussion for another time. And the second thing is is, is uh, media. Media does a horrible job of talking about assault in various ways. It always goes back to some kind of penetration. Yeah. It's not just a caress or a touch or a look or verbal. It's usually um, just penetration in some way, shape, or form. I know I have uh, many conversations with other authors and writers of the world, and we're always talking about how it's so horrible that authors get stuck in this idea that sexual assault is is rape for Mm -hmm. for lack of a better explanation and that it can be more than one thing i know in my second book fading starlight that comes out in june uh, i took it upon myself to have a discussion of something other than penetration that it can be all kinds of different ways shapes or forms sexual excuse me sexual assault can occur in, in different ways and again for my book it wasn't let me talk about the act. It's more of how do we as a society, a, a community come together to help a survivor. And I think that's what we're missing in, in media. Media wants to talk about the act. They don't necessarily want to talk about the aftermath or how to avoid or how to help. And I, I think that's just, we're missing part of the conversation there. Oh, for sure. And that's definitely something I want to cover a little bit with you also, because it's so, um, it's so rarely discussed how to, um, I guess, help somebody who has just been through a sexual assault, whether it's a loved one or a friend or even acquaintance or somebody that you, you meet uh, at a bar who just like experienced it and try and help them out. Um, you know, I, I, I can't count anymore how many times I have encountered somebody who has either just recently or sometime in their lives dealt with sexual assault and you know I'm not necessarily the best equipped person to help deal to help them through it I'm not I'm not certified I'm not a therapist but I think that we all need support when it does come to sexual assault and even you bring up such a beautiful point though we're we're not all therapists let's just be honest not all of us are licensed therapists and that's okay because what I when I I'm working with students and I say, what can you, what can you do? Or I'm working with a client that's like, oh my gosh, this was, this was experienced in my community, meaning their family, circle of friends, what have you. It's being there. It's believing is the first, first step. You have to believe. You have to be there, believe and be supportive. And what that means, it's totally up to you and this, this other person, if you will, but it's knowing that you have resources. So maybe the, the person can't act to call the police or call a lawyer or you know a domestic violence shelter, if you will. You gathering those tools and resources, that can be your job. And that's another form of support. Now, maybe you, you're not able to handle the story for whatever reason. Maybe it's triggering for you. Maybe you just feel like it's out of your depth. That's okay. At least you can admit that because what you're going to do then is you're going to, again, help them provide Provide them with resources. Find a uh, mental health uh, practitioner in your area that can hold their story and, and create a safe space for your client. Or your client, excuse me, for your friend. Um, point them in the direction again of a domestic violence shelter that have the resources. Um, find maybe other friends if they're if they are comfortable. Again, it goes back to your friend. I'm gonna call them friend for for this segment, y'all. Yes. I don't know. It could be a, a loved one, a friend, whatever. But I'm gonna use the word friend for this just for. Uh, for discussion's sake, if your friend can feel safe enough to disclose to you and maybe another person, again, opening up that conversation with people that they feel safe with is also going to be helpful. But it's knowing that at the end of the day, if you cannot hold their story or if you're being triggered, that you have to do the self-care that is needed to keep you safe as well. Because if you're being triggered, if you're being hurt again by the story, how are you going to help that person? So it's always being aware that 
yeah, some of this is a lot. Even as a therapist, I say to my clients, never see a therapist that doesn't see a therapist. We get told stories all day long that are, are horrific in nature or just sad or triggering for us in whatever shape or form, but we still need to take care of ourselves so we can be present for our clients, for the people that we're treating. And it's the same thing if you want to help a loved one in this situation. Take care of yourself so you can take care of another person. Um, again, we talked about resources. Uh, there are so many organizations out there that will give you tips and tricks. Now, if the person doesn't feel safe, don't push them. You can't make them call a lawyer. You can't make them get a rape kit from a police officer. You can't make them go to the hospital. You can't make them do anything that they don't want. But it's letting them know that you're there in whatever shape or form uh, for them whenever they need you in whatever space that looks like you're there no matter what. And that's going to be the key into helping them recover is letting them know that there is someone out there that is safe, that is ready to help them. Um, maybe it won't be listening to the story, but it would be offering support, driving them to wherever they need to go, giving them food if they haven't fed themselves properly, um, anything like that. It's just being mindful of what the, your friend needs. And a lot of times it's going to be space, it's going to be distance, but it's always checking in. It's always being consistent in that, in that way. Uh, but knowing that if they do reject you for whatever reason, it's not really a rejection. It's that's what they need at this time. I hope that made sense. It definitely does. After somebody does go through some kind of sexual assault, they are, you know, they're dealing with a lot. It's it's often a shock and very overwhelming so experience. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to even know what, you know, what you need. So just being there for your friend is really important in this case, just to, just to be around for when it does come, when, when they do come down a little bit from the shock of what happened, that they can, they, that you're there and they can express whatever it is that they need or, you know, they think they need, then you can be there for them. That's, that's really all you can do in these cases. I will say too, if you do physically feel like you want to touch your friend, um, make sure you're asking permission. Exactly. Just because that might be re-triggering or re-traumatizing and you don't want to do that. So make sure you're asking questions. And I kind of keep thinking for some reason during this discussion, I keep thinking of, um, a tool that I, I do with like, uh, you know, toddlers, if you will, which is, I'm not saying people who are survivors are in any way, shape, form toddlers, but I always remember this when I work with young kids or I have young kids in my life is that they're having a tantrum, right? They can't control their emotions. They don't even know what they want. They can't articulate what, what they want. But if you're just with them in the moment, like sitting down, maybe next to them, uh, reassuring them, they do calm down and they are able to come back to you and to discuss. And I kind of look at it helping that way. Your friend is going to be a ball of emotions, a ball of things are going on inside them that we may never understand or be able to articulate. They may never be able to understand or articulate. But it's, again, being in that vicinity of helpfulness, not pushing, not prodding, just being is that's going to make make or break the, the difference, I think, for your friend or your loved one. Uh, just being there and being supportive, whether that's just sitting on the floor with them or, you know, if they do say one thing or another to do, it's doing it without question. Absolutely. Those are great ways to think about how, if you know somebody who is just recently or in, you know, even it could be five years ago uh, that they have dealt with a sexual assault, just can, having your, your presence there, even just knowing mentally that you're available if they need to call you at any time of night um, because, you know, they had a bad dream or they just want to talk something out or they, they, you know, they need a bowl of soup, whatever it is. Um, you never know when they could be triggered or when you could be triggered and, and they might need, um, it could be the middle of the day and something completely unrelated to the assault happens and then they could just trigger something uh, for them. So just knowing that you're available for them and that you, you're giving them unconditional love, which is so crucial, um, then I, I really feel like that is one of the most important things that you can do for somebody who is a survivor of sexual assault. Yeah, 100%. Amen, girl. Amen. <laughs> And we're going to go into that in a little bit more detail in the next segment. So please stay with us. We will be right back after this. When the lights are off, that's no reason not to light things up. Lube Light lets you pop its cap for instant illumination. So your lube gets applied to all the sweet spots and never the awkward ones. No more slippery midsection, unless you're into that. You can keep it turned on while you're getting down with your partner. Our ambient lighting is soft enough to never blind while you're doing the grind. 
No matter what lube gets you vibing, it's compatible with Lube Light. Easier to turn on than your last partner, guaranteed. Get yours today at lubelights.com. Also available on Amazon and SheVibe. The Sexy Lifestyle Talk Radio Network is where you can build a new vocabulary to talk about sex in a healthy, loving, and productive way. Discover more about yourself and your relationships from our amazing sex experts who can't wait to share their information with you. You'll learn everything you ever wanted to know about sex, sexuality, sexual pleasure, and so much more on the Sexy Lifestyle Talk Radio Network. Listen, learn, and live sexy. are tuned in to Seek, Discover, Create with Lexi Silver. If you have a question or comment about the show, we'd love to hear from you via email to Lexi at SDC.com. That's L-E-X-I at SDC.com. Now back to this week's discussion. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm Lexi Silver. I'm here with Samantha Hugan. We're having a very honest and in-depth conversation about sexual assault, what it means, and how, without realizing it, you may have already experienced sexual assault in your life or know somebody else who has experienced sexual assault. We were just talking about consent and the importance of it and how you can support somebody who has just dealt with uh, sexual assault and just by being there and having your friend know that you're available for them, whatever their needs may be. So continuing on with this really amazing conversation that we're having, you know, how is it in this day and age that some people just seem to not be able to take no for an answer? That's a really good question. It's, there's, multi, there's multiple pieces to answering that, but I think it goes back to the main, the main piece, which is power and control. So we, as human beings, are socialized to see a hierarchy of different people in the world. So uh, as we, I well, hope you've had these conversations before, but maybe if you haven't heard this, um, girl, we got to start again, because I don't even like what I was, where I was going with that. So Go for it. Scratch that. Start over. No worries. Start All over. Right. <laughs> this is why I like the pre-recording. We could stop in between. We could rephrase. I could be like, what's that word? It's like, what's that word I was trying to say? It's like, no, no, let me say that again. No, it's cool. That's good. I just, I don't know where I was going with that, but I was like, this sounds stupid. Next. Cut this out. <laughs> okay. So do you want to pick up where um, uh, there are lots of questions to this? No, ask me. The, okay. I was going to start from the very beginning. No problem. No problem. Ask me the question again and I'll start from no problem. No problem. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Don't be sorry. I hate right. that. I'm just like, this is stupid shit. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. We'll start over. Okay. So how is it that some people in this day and age seem to still not be able to take no for an answer? That's a really, really good question. And there are multiple pieces to this response, but I think I'm going to stick with this one, which is power and control. Uh, Men in our society at this point are so socialized to have this hierarchy, uh, this visual representation of of who has the power, who has the control, and who is, quote, and then air quotes, guys, uh, who's important. And right now, and it is shifting, I do believe it really truly is shifting, but right now, men, uh, white men who are heterosexual have the power. So they aren't really talking to each other or other uh, people in this world about their privilege. And so because of that, they think they can control other people to do their bidding. So depending on your positionality, uh, now this is an example from my client. This is from my, my caseload, if you will, throughout my career. So it's not anybody in particular, but I have seen across the board that a lot of people who struggle with the concept of power and control somewhere deep inside are insecure. Now that can look and represent itself in different ways, but I do know the people who cannot grasp the idea that somebody, that could be a woman, that could be somebody in their life, that could be another male, doesn't matter, if they feel that they are entitled to something from this other person, they will flex their power and control to try to manipulate the situation. So we see a lot of abusers who are, and these are my words, fascinated, if you will, uh, with this concept of power and control because all sexual assault is, is a grab for power and control over somebody else. 
And a lot of that, that's fantastic. And a lot of that is socialized, right? They grow up in these positions of privilege of, as being like, you know, as we were saying, stereotypically white men, okay, who have always kind of had that kind of um, status or that power in society. So conversely, that kind of um, socialization is also an issue and also to blame when people are thinking that it's their fault that a sexual assault happened. Oh, I wore my, my skirt was too short. Uh, you know, it was something I was wearing or maybe I looked at him for a second too long. So let's, can we talk a bit about that? Why do people blame the victim and why do people blame themselves when something like this happens? Well, it's like, it's like you said, socialization. We're taught as a society that women are less now, we can go into that discussion another time, but for time's sake, we're just going to say that there is this underlying current that women are less. So women are already taking the blame for a lot of different shit that's going on in the world. But when, it ter- when in terms of sexual assault, and again, I'm using men and women, I know all kinds of people get sexually assaulted, but for time's sake, in this discussion, I'm going to use men and women. Okay. Um, so when a man sees a woman and he wants her... And he takes whatever that is from her, and we're going to say that's sexual assault. It will be placed on the woman's shoulders because women are not seen as equal. Mm-hmm. They're uh, seen as second-class citizens of the world. Um, and this is all found all over uh, the, the earth, if you will, globally. And so because this idea has been just around for ages and ages and ages, it's almost ingrained in all of us because of socialization. We can't really fathom anything else because we haven't seen anything else. And this goes back to my, my discussion about media and how its portrayal of sexual assault is limited. Power and control, its portrayal of that is very limited. Who do we see in terms of power on TV, in movies, in books? It's usually a white heterosexual male. Yeah. And because of that, just, I guess, reusage of this idea, we now internalize women as being weaker and not being able to rule the world, if you will, or control governments or armies or whatever, because they are considered this weaker, lesser sex. I don't believe that. I know, Lexi, you don't believe that. There's so many other people that are changing this narrative, but that narrative still exists. And that's what we kind of have to climb over and destroy if we're ever going to have a real discussion about sexual assault and how to dismantle it from the human experience. Oh, definitely. And something that you also just, uh, you, you mentioned, and you're talking about uh, power and control. If a woman is already feeling like her power has been taken from her by someone else because of a sexual assault, then giving her power, whatever is re- she feels remains of it, to, let's say, the authorities, to pursue an investigation into it, to report it, to, to deal with the consequences, whether it's with work, whether it's because there is such a stigma around sexual assault, because again, with the victim blaming, right? Oh, it was her fault or whatever, or she's, uh, she's being overly sensitive or whatever the case. She's basically giving that, um, that power to, like I said, uh, her coworkers, her bosses, her family, to make those judgments based on those uh, kinds of socialization practices that have happened that make it right. seem like it is her fault. So that is definitely one of the major reasons why a lot of people don't report it. They don't want anyone oh, to really know. hundred percent. I mean, we have we could sit here for hours and talk about all of the cases that we've heard about in the news globally and probably in your local area, and and just be amazed at how much crap is thrown at the victim slash survivor, right? Yeah. And, and I hate that word allegedly. I already said that earlier. Like yeah. that word is thrown around to kind of undermine, at least in the United States, it kind of is used to undermine the person who is saying this happened to me and also to not blame, air quote, the person that did do the transgression. We all know, because we've already talked about this, 2% of people are making this shit up which means so much. That's like a, a small, 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 small number. It means, it means really nothing in the grand scheme of things. So to say allegedly, again, that goes back into that narrative of women being less than, of the victim not really knowing what happened or you know, putting more power in the person who is doing the assaulting, which again, stereotypically is a, a man. So yeah. 
none of that is used as a tool to help people. It is used as a tool to scare and to make sure that the, the already vulnerable has, has this concept that their power has been taken away from them um, or misinterpreted in whatever way, shape, or form. And it is very, very serious. This is how we will never get past this if we cannot change this system. Um, all of us talking about it, talking about it, all of us becoming comfortable talking about it. And that's not going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen down the road. I do believe it will happen in my lifetime, probably the end of my lifetime. But I do believe we can create the change if we're all willing to accept responsibility in one way, shape, or another, that we are all responsible for the cycle that has continued. And now we have to make a new system to help survivors come forward. And then I hope in one day we don't have to have stories like this. We don't have to have discussions like this because it's just going to be commonplace. And we're going to be able to talk about it openly so much so that consent is number one and a sexual assault it just gets dismantled and we don't have to worry about that anymore that's my that's my dream that's the world i'd like to live in but we all have to be responsible in our own ways to make that happen and I agree with you. I would love for that to be the case. And that's one of the reasons we're having this episode right now is to really talk about and identify all the reasons why it's currently not the case and what it is that we can do to make it eventually be the case. And so you mentioned something I just wanted to, to touch on. Because 98% of the people who are reporting sexual assault are actually reporting an actual sexual assault, if someone is telling you that they were sexually assaulted, by default, you need to believe them. Oh, yeah, and, believe that 100%. Yeah. Yeah. And if you express doubt that it happened or you question that it ever happened, you can guarantee that that person is not only going to feel not listened to, um, but feel really, I mean, terrible for having told you because they're talking to you because they want, they need you to believe them. They need your support. They need, they're talking to you about something really intimate that happened to them uh, f because they need help. So if you're already going to say that you don't believe what it is that they're saying for whatever reason or start to question the circumstances under which it happened, uh, then you're also causing, uh, you're also, I guess, to blame partly uh, for the problem that we are seeing in people blaming the victim and not believing that it actually really happened. I think there needs to be space, though, for people who feel that they can't handle the stories. So oh, for sure. You need, that's, to, you need to know that about you and then let the person know as gracefully as possible and with such love that I cannot hold this for you. And I think people need to be open on both sides, right? Like you need to know who you are and where you stand. And if you're able to hold the stories and then in a perfect world, somebody will see that and go, okay, then who, who else? Then what, how, how can you help me? Where do I go? And then again, it goes back to those resources. So you may not be able to hold the story, but there are so many other things that you can do for a loved one that's going through this or has gone through this. So I don't want people to think that they need to sit there and like, no, they don't people, but it's, there's so, so many different roles that you can take. It's being honest with yourself, what you're comfortable in doing. I, I think that's going to be the key. Agreed. And I, I totally agree with that. What I mean mostly is that as a universal rule, if someone is coming to you and telling that, telling you, even whether you can hold the story or not, that they, that they experienced something that, that hurt them, that was, you know, a really horrible experience, that you need to understand that they're, they're telling the truth. They're telling you something. And if you can't hold that, fine, help them find someone who can, right. but believe them. Don't doubt what they're saying is true. Right. Yeah. So I, I think, wow, we've, that's, uh, it's pretty deep. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, these conversations yeah. need to happen and I'm glad that you and I can be the role model about how this will, could go and what this would look like. Um, cause you and I have our own experiences with it and this is not the time, place or platform to talk about that, but we're here, we're talking about it. We've gotten over our own biases to talk about it and therefore other people can do it as well. Absolutely. And I would love to be able to erase the stigma as, as much as possible uh, of what it means to be somebody who has been sexually assaulted. It really, it, there, people um, really don't understand that by reporting a sec an incidence of sexual assault, it kind of marks them forever oh, as being, and I hate the word victim, I fucking hate that word, but as being a survivor of it, which I would, a much better word, I think, yeah. um, 
It's, and I think people use victim. I, when I say people, I think it's like the media loves that. Yeah, word. I hate that word. There's something in our minds for whatever reason, but they're not victims, they're survivors. Yes. Yeah, I like that word. It's a way better terminology when it comes to that. But I'd love to erase the stigma behind it so that survivors can feel more comfortable uh, coming forward and safer coming forward, knowing that um, this is not a lifelong thing that they are going to have to deal with in terms of other people looking at them in a particular way because they already have to lifelong deal with what happened. So um, I want to talk a little bit more about that after um, in the next segment. I just want to take a little quick break. Thank you for everyone who is staking, who is uh, sticking with us for this conversation. And uh, we will be right back after this. So don't go away. Craving more from your sexy lifestyle? Search our businesses, services, blogs, articles, and videos. And keep in touch with us by subscribing to our newsletter, all on thesexylifestyle.com. The Sexy Lifestyle Talk Radio Network is where you can build a new vocabulary to talk about sex in a healthy, loving, and productive way. Discover more about yourself and your relationships from our amazing sex experts who can't wait to share their information with you. You'll learn everything you ever wanted to know about sex, sexuality, sexual pleasure, and so much more on the Sexy Lifestyle Talk Radio Network. Listen, learn, and live sexy. are tuned in to seek discover create with lexi silver if you have a question or comment about the show we'd love to hear from you via email to lexi at sdc.com that's l-e-x-i at sdc.com now back to this week's discussion Welcome back to SDC Presents Seek, Discover, Create. I'm Lexi Silver, and I'm here with Samantha Hugan. And we're talking about uh, sexual assault, how it, you know, um, how a lot of the reasons why people both can't accept no for an answer as far as it, when it comes to consent, and also why a lot of people blame themselves and blame the victim uh, for the sexual assault that happens, has a lot to do with uh, society and the way we are socialized to think about uh, the power dynamic between between a stereotypical, well, stereotypical power dynamic between uh, men and women and how women are often seen as um, inferior or less than. So part of one of the things that I wanted to talk about are how we can educate people about consent and sexual assault and really try to erase this stigma that we were talking about and also that power dynamic, what we can do to kind of even the playing field and make people feel uh, more comfortable to come forward if it has happened to them. Oh, such a good question. Sorry, I got like lost in the fact that I was like, yeah, how can we? And my, how can my, we in that utopia? <laughs> right? yeah. I was like, oh, I wish I could live there. Yeah. Well, uh, I think first and foremost is having discussions like you and I are today, right? It's like talking about what consent means. And we really haven't defined it because I think that'd be really hard to try to define it. I mean, you and I could define it for ourselves, but yeah. it'd be really hard to define it across the globe. And I know you have listeners from all over the place. So um, it's having discussions with your friends, loved ones, uh, colleagues, what have you, in a respectful, healthy way about what that means for each of you, and then to honor that and to go forward into your communities and kind of, again, continuously talk about it. Uh, you could always share this podcast, you know, wherever yeah. you want. You could always share this podcast because this could be a, uh, a building block to start a conversation in your neck of the woods. Uh, but there's so many people, I think, that are willing to listen about about this, about this topic that you have to just start with the one discussion and then go forth um, and conquer that way. I know uh, I used that example earlier, that personal example of mine where I had a conversation with my husband and God love him. He's a great man. And he, <laughs> he, he is so with it. He is such a social justice warrior, but even social justice warriors, you know, get confused or, um, based on whatever their knowledge is, they get, they get stuck in, in a way. And so I think that's a beautiful example of how like you you can be with a, another social justice warrior. You can be with somebody who gets it, 
But again, it's continuing that conversation so everybody gets it because now he'll go off into his own corner of the world and he'll talk to his friends and loved ones about uh, what consent is. And maybe he'll even, I don't, I don't think policing is the right word, but that's the first word that came to mind where because he has the power in this world, right? He can go and he can help promote and police the conversation with other men. If you yes. will. Again, I don't like that word, but that, that other words are escaping me at this point. So it's it's being the change that you want to see in this world and standing up for what you believe believe in in a safe way, and then having discussions with people that you care about most and feel comfortable with. So then you guys can have a, talk, a conversation, and then that can just snowball into the community. I think that's a wonderful way and a place to start. I think. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Being a role model in general for the way you should behave around individuals in general, but also around women, the conversations that, uh, you know, uh, like when guys get together, a lot of the time they, and I know, <laughs> I'm usually like one of the only women in all male groups talking about everything uh, from sports to sex. And then I hear a lot of things and it's really a matter of, well, no, it's not okay to say that. It's not okay to regard women that way. It's not okay to, uh, to think that that's okay uh, to treat a woman that way because that, you know, whether they realize or not, those are uh, really just perpetuating all of those things that we talked about, which is, um, you know, the, a culture that uh, enables people yeah. to treat people like they're less than. I also think you, you made me think of boundaries when you were talking because I think oh, yeah. to be a role model, you need to know what your boundaries are and what you're going to accept and what you're not going to accept. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of self-esteem work with my clients and I think that is paramount is to know what your boundaries are. Um, I just had a client the other day say something to me and I had to let him know professionally what my boundaries were um, because he was kind of teetering on inappropriate and I was like, no, 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 this is my boundary. And he was very wonderful and he accepted it and apologized and then asked for clarification, which was brilliant. I was like, oh, yeah. yes, look at this change in this world. Like, I love it. So it's knowing what you stand for, what you'll tolerate and what you won't tolerate because you could be in a group of all men and they could just be running their mouths. And if you let them run their mouths, even though you're not being true to yourself, how's that going to create change? Yeah. So it's knowing that you know, no, I'm sorry. Like, did I hear you just say that? Mm, that didn't really feel good for me. I, I don't think that's appropriate. And again, being respectful. I don't think, I think we live in a world, at least in the United States, we live in a Trump era where everybody's just yelling at each other. That is not going to create change. <laughs> it's just yeah. not going to create change. Yeah. So it's being able to hold your own in a respectful way, listen in a respectful way, and then try to find that beautiful compromise. Because I do believe compromise, compromise exists. But, you know, it's, it's knowing what your boundaries are to get to that point where you can make a compromise that works for both parties. And I hope that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. And it sounds really, it, it's a very important thing to be able to do. And a lot of that also comes down to having good communication skills and yeah. also and good active listening skills in general. Yeah. So and nobody has those, unfortunately. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> stumbling around in the dark trying to figure it out. So again, going back to giving yourself grace. Yes. It's not going to be perfect in the beginning. Nobody is, but it's giving yourself that space to figure it out and, and to do so respectfully. That's, that's, yeah. And putting in the effort and showing that you care. Uh, I think those are really important things. Yeah. And so speaking of those communication skills, what can, um, what can survivors do to talk about their experiences to reach out to somebody if a sexual assault has occurred, if they maybe don't have a loved one that they feel comfortable talking to, or maybe they do approach a loved one and you're that loved one and you don't know how you can help out your friend and you're looking for those, uh, those resources what is a good way, what is a good starting place to well, be able I think to do that? If we're talking about in terms of survivors, they have to make that decision for themselves, right? Yeah. So if you do want to talk to somebody and it might not be a loved one, because I think we've covered that yeah. in various ways yeah. earlier. So you can yeah. just definitely rewind and re-listen to that if you're <laughs> curious. Uh, but if, if you are a survivor looking to move forward outside of your um, circle of friends or circle of loved ones, then I would look for a uh, helping professional. Now that can be a marriage and family therapist, that can be a psychologist, that can be a psychiatrist, depending on how you call it in your neck of the woods. It could be an LPC because here we have a licensed professional uh, counselor. 
Um, so it just depends on what you call it in your neck of the woods, but all those helping professionals will be able to point you in the right direction or give you the care that you deserve. Now, if you were my client, I would have you look for a trauma-informed clinician or therapist. Uh, that means they have been trained to handle and hold your story appropriately. Um, again, selfless plug, like I love a good marriage and family therapist just because they know how to work with someone systemically, and I think we're the best. Just <laughs> So I would look for a trauma-informed marriage family therapist. Even a sex therapist uh, could help you because, again, they would have that knowledge and expertise to be able to hold your story. You can Google it depending on where you are in your neighborhood. I believe Psychology Today is global. I don't know how many countries uh, they represent, uh, but psychologytoday.com is a really good tool and resource to find a clinician or therapist in your neck of the woods. Uh, you're more than welcome to reach out to me at Samantha Hugan. Com. I'm sure Lexi will have my name. I will. Show notes so you'll be able to spell it, but thankfully I'm the only Samantha Hugan in the world, so I pop up pretty easily. Um, but I would be more than happy to help you uh, just, just find somebody in your area uh, to help you through whatever it is you're looking for. So I, I definitely have that service available and, and it is free of charge. Um, Thank yeah. you for that. That's very helpful. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. And I think there are also, I mean, depending on your location, there are some 24-hour hotlines that you could call just to talk to someone short-term uh, in the meantime, because I know it's not always easy to find uh, a licensed practitioner who's able to help you. And sometimes there are, you know, uh, they, if there's a week or two weeks between your appointments, it might not be easy and you might need to talk to someone in the meantime. Uh, so okay. there are support groups that you can attend. There are hotlines as well in your local areas. Um, I wish we had better funding for those. So there were a lot more of them, but... Amen. Yeah, but for the time being, I mean, you can always Google that and see what's available in your area and definitely do, um, if you if that is something you want to do and you do need to reach out to someone, then I, I definitely suggest doing that. Another great option is a domestic violence shelter in your area. If They might, they might be, not be able to take on your case, but at least they'll have the resources to help point you in the right direction. Absolutely. That's very good advice. Thank you. And thank you so much, Samantha, for talking to me, for being here today. This has been, uh, it's, it's a very important episode. Like I said, I think it really touches a lot of people in different ways and um, really uh, sparks a lot of um, emotion. So I really do appreciate that. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. It's my pleasure. And I'm, I'm more than happy to help anybody after the podcast in any way, shape or form. So please don't hesitate to reach out. So other than your website, how else can people reach out to you after this? Yeah, I love Instagram. Uh, Instagram is where I play the most. Uh, so that's just at Samantha underscore Hugh again. Again, only one in the world, so I'm easy to find. Uh, I do have Twitter, but I'm a little slow on the uptake just because... I don't know. Twitter is intimidating. I like pretty pictures. So I'm over <laughs> on Instagram. I do have a, a YouTube channel that's again at Samantha Hugh again. Um, I talk a lot about mental health and what's going on in that realm. Uh, again, and I have my, my first book came out last year, Dawn Among the Stars. And that, that is my little baby. And so if you are interested in kind of knowing my philosophy on how to help survivors of sexual assault, uh, what real depictions of mental health looks like. So I write a lot about anxiety, PTSD, depression, trauma, uh, in an educational way. So Dawn Among the Stars is a fictional uh, book about uh, three humans who are trying to figure out their lives with the coming of aliens and what that looks like after the aliens have left um, and kind of destroyed things. Um, the second book, the, the follow-up to Dawn Among the Stars is Fading Starlight, and that is released in June, June 17th, 2019, which is super exciting. That is also my little baby, and that really goes into healthy relationships, what that looks like, and sexual assault and how to help a survivor uh, as a community through that. So I'm very excited to put these little babies out into the world. I uh, have, have beautiful readers that have uh, loved it from the start, so I'm just excited to keep on growing and keep on spreading the word in different ways. Um, if you go to SamanthaHugan.com, you can see where I'm headed next. I have an event tab where that just kind of talks about all the cool places that I'm going to talk uh going to do a talk or a workshop or what have you. So if you, I'm in your neck of the woods, don't hesitate to reach out and say hi. I love meeting new people. So it's really exciting. 
Oh, that's awesome. And it's very exciting. Congratulations on both of your books, Thank maybe you. prematurely for the other one, but congratulations nonetheless. <laughs> no, I'm really excited. This one is going to, this one is a, it's a doozy. It's different than the first, but it's, it's like we talked about today. It needs to happen. The discussion needs to change and, and flow with the times. It is 2019 y'all. Let's, let's create some change. Yeah. Um, and then also, I, I forgot to mention it because I get so excited about all the things that I do. If you are in Georgia, if you are in Atlanta, area, the Atlanta, Georgia area, you can see me as a, as a client if you're looking for a therapist. So please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm in Atlanta. I'm open for business. And I'd be more than happy to help you on your therapeutic journey. Thank you so much for that. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being on our show today. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. And for everyone who's listening and who stayed with us this whole time, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. And I hope you'll tune in on Thursdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on the Sexy Lifestyle Network for my next show. You can stay up to date with my podcast. So if you missed a part of this or any of my previous episodes, you can download them and you can subscribe to my podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and Google Play Music. And don't forget, you can learn more about sex, health, and relationships as you seek yourself, discover together, and create moments at sdc.com. Thanks for joining me, Lexi Silver, on SDC Seek, Discover, Create. Until next time, stay lectual, people. Bye. We appreciate you joining us on Seek, Discover, Create, presented by sdc.com. Please join your host, Lexi Silver, on another erotic journey next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Sexy Lifestyle Network. Until then, may you enjoy exploring your sexuality.